Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you drive your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest, Jackson Janigam, is currently the vice president and GM of the direct-to-consumer business at the Clorox Company, which includes full P&L responsibilities, supply chain, fulfillment, Soup to nuts. This guy does it all. I'm sparing you a lot of details on that because it gets real techie. And prior to Clorox, Jackson was the chief marketing officer for e-commerce startup Box, where he oversaw growth, performance, media, and brand. And in 2018, Jax was named to the Forbes CMO Next 2018 list, which identified the top 50 CMOs, redefining the role and shaping the future. And previous roles, Jackson was the head of digital for Chipotle, responsible for leading all digital marketing. And sure, he ate his body weight in burritos uh, daily there. We'll talk about that. And he has a long resume, and we're going to get into that. We're going to unpack that and talk about how he got from where he was to where he is now. And personally, he serves on the board of directors for Goodwill International, as well as Peace Direct, and an advisor for three high-growth startups, Dynamic Signal, Bounce X, and Miles. So we're going to get into it. I'm thrilled to welcome Jackson. Welcome to the podcast, my man. Thanks, brother. Good to be here, man. Awesome. So we are recording this. We'll do a little time capsule. Today is the second day of October in 2020. Last night, 1 a.m., our president and first lady were diagnosed with coronavirus. It is crazy. So when this episode airs uh, in a few weeks, we'll look back and we'll we'll just kind of see what's happening here. Before we get into your career story, quick prediction on what the hell is happening in American politics. <laughs> I'm throwing a curveball. Uh, we're here. We're live. We're doing it. Yeah, this. you did. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I come November, you know, I, I, I follow it deeply. Um, I, you know, sometimes get disappointed by it, like many people just because I think at least up ballot right on the presidential side, the election we'll find out in what, six weeks uh, comes down to what, seven states. And that's disheartening if you live in New York, right down ballot, we can all still have an impact. But you know, it's it's concerning and just frustrating that it's only seven states, give or take, that really are going to decide the elections, given where it's shaking out. So, um, I, you know, last, four years ago, I thought for sure, I thought one thing was going to happen, like many of us, and then the exact opposite happened. And I'm seeing the repeat. I'm seeing the media say the same thing. I'm seeing the media say the, say the same themes. Right. I'm seeing the exit polls and all the polling be almost identical. And I worry that the same thing is going to happen. So I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who aren't voicing their opinions right now and are going to go to the ballots and voice it that way. And, you know, who knows, but uh, that's concerning a little bit, I think. Yeah. Just, just get on vote. So let's switch gears here and get back to you. You're the guest of honor today. Um, you have an incredible career. You've had an incredible career, some real high profile titles, uh, tons of responsibility on your shoulders, but it all had to start somewhere. Take us back. You know, we don't have to go into super details. We don't want to know. We, we could assume what you did in college. But what, <laughs> what, 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 what did you study in university? And what were you kind of thinking when you were in school, what you wanted to do when you got out? 
Well, uh, yeah, so I, I swear a lot, so I'll try to, to limit you could, it. Adam, you, could curse but... you could curse here. We're, all right, yeah. perfect. I was. Uh, I give it like shit. the Howard Stern show, man. Minus ah, a few perfect. things here and there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, minus a few things. Yeah. Uh, dude, I was a shit student. I was never a good student. I didn't like homework. Um, I, I obviously believe in education, think it's important. I have two daughters, five and 16 months old, so that'll be important for them. But I was not a good student, period. Uh, but I did, uh, after a few majors and after basically an academic probation for a couple of years <laughs> and on the verge of being kicked out, uh, I Me figured too, it out. You too. Okay. So you and I share a lot in common. I, you know, I have a whole other, you talk about the education system and what the parameters and, and benchmarks are for what success and what's not. I think there's a lot of gaps there, at least in the U S but, um, I, and anyway, I ended up being a sociology major. I majored in race relations, which was very passionate um, topic of mine still is always has been being a minority has grown up in all different environments, um, and standing out in a lot of different ways, uh, son of immigrants and so forth. But I would say that I didn't kind of follow, I, would, I didn't want to be a teacher and I didn't want to be a social worker. So I knew like really what else are you going to do, you know, for the most part from a traditional standpoint, sociology. But um, I minored in communications because um, I figured I had to do something more practical and fell into a job despite a crappy GPA. Actually, Adam, I took the LSAT because I thought I had to. My parents are <laughs> good old, you know, brown Sri Lankan uh, parents who like, you know, be a lawyer, a banker, a doctor, something, something. traditional. Yeah. Something so they could be proud of, right? So they exactly, can brag about right? their friends, yeah. right? They exactly. got to brag about Jack. That's exactly right. That was the only reason, right? So I took the LSAT, bombed it. Um, I think I got like something 150 something, got waitlisted to two schools, accepted to none. It was the best thing that could have happened to me only because yes, nothing I don't have lawyers. to do any of this shit. I don't oh, have to do it anywhere. And how many can. people do you know? I know plenty of people who went to law school, got the degree, are in debt and left, don't practice law at all and regret it, right? It's unbelievable um, how much law school costs. My wife's an attorney and, and finally, uh, yeah, it's, I get it. It's insane. So I, I didn't do that. I uh, barely graduated, just uh, 2.97 GPA. I'm like, well, I'm not going to grad school either, which I'm good with. I never did. Um, and I fell into PR, man. Like my, I was a fraternity and my big brother in a fraternity was like, dude, you like throwing parties? So I was a social chair and then president. And I'm like, yeah, I love throwing parties. Like, you should get into PR. And Adam, I tell you this, yeah, for the first four years of my job, I didn't throw one effing party, man. Like I, I did faxes. I was 2000, right, when I started. Faxes. For all those youngsters out there, we used to have to put a piece of paper <laughs> into a machine and send it over the phone line. Oh, man, yeah. And I was like, I was calling journalists and media. I, I you know, I didn't know what I was doing, making 23000 a year in Portland. Um, I was partying a lot, right, with my friends, just trying to figure it out. Didn't have any kind of... Uh, you know, I was ambitious, but I didn't know where I wanted to go and how I wanted to do it. Um, yeah, I did that for a few years and I ended up on the T-Mobile team at the same agency, moved to Seattle. WWE, right? Uh, yep, that's right. And uh, that was awesome, dude, because if you remember, I'm going to age myself for your crowd, but you know the T-Mobile sidekicks. Remember those back in the day? Was that the horizontal phone? Yep, and it flipped yeah. up the screen and it was like an every hip-hop cool. video. I, oh, I, still, I still say the Motorola StarTech is the best phone ever created. Yeah, that two-way was sick. Yeah, the two-way and the sidekick awesome. were like the devices of hip-hop and athletes and, and Hollywood. So um, built our name on that and we did a lot of influencer marketing and that kind of put me into Then I started throwing parties, ironically enough. Uh, I got to throw some parties and uh, work with like young talent and uh, influencers. And, you know, we were also doing a lot on social media. This is 2005, dude, 2006. Right. So, so you were friends with what's his face on MySpace, right? Yeah, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Tom? I was launching the psychic on MySpace. Tom's my bro. Dude, Tom's kind of making this weird comeback. Like he gets referenced all the time in like social media memes and stuff. Um, and uh, that's when I, you know, we we did some really cool things. So that that time, no one was doing social media marketing, Adam. So like, you know, Facebook was still private only if you're in high school or college. MySpace and friends are around, so no one knew there was no agencies. And we started launching T-Mobile Sidekick on Twitter. We launched T-Mobile's account on Twitter. I created a Wikipedia page for them, awesome. uh, helped launch on MySpace. And then all of a sudden, it blew up on me. I'm like, wow, this digital marketing social media thing is- There's is something like, going yeah. on here. Yeah. And then uh, the next four years, I 
I figured out what I was going to do and I moved to New York in the middle of a recession, right before the recession, 2008, like mm. July, recession hit in October. And like, like an idiot I am in February of 2009, right when everyone is like just trying to hold on to their job, I left a great job of nine years to go to another job uh, mm. and take, take a 10% cut on the salary. They're like, hey, everyone here is a 10% pay cut. So your salary is X minus 10%. I'm like, okay, mm. well, I'm going to do it. Um, because I, everyone told me not to. Everyone's like, you're crazy. You're going to be the first one fired. And so everyone's losing jobs left and right. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not happy. And I got to be happy. And, yeah, and I know that, this- is it that is it that the ultimate, like, you know, you don't know that super early on. I mean, to cut you off there, but like, is it that one no, of the things that you, you don't know early on, right? Because early on, you're taking a job because you feel like you have to. You feel yep. like you have to do something. You have to work. But it's not until you get a couple rolls in, then you realize, you know, how important happiness no. is. Dude. Uh, yeah, for so much. And obviously happiness, as you know, is, is a lot of things that uh, influence that, right? Beyond work. But work is a big part of it, especially if you're single and you're living in New York, dude. Like, you know how it is. Like, work and your person are the same, right? It's very hard to separate, Yeah, right? when you're, you're single, when you're out there dating, you're in a major uh, market, right? You're hanging yeah. out, you're young, you don't got annoying little kids freaking bothering you all day I yeah you're that. hustling you're those, hustling. Are good, those are the good old days oh dude my 30s in new york was just that was often. before that was before social media when people could capture everything on their phones right that's where right. you could get away that's where you could get away with some shit <laughs> yeah so i'll I tell mean, you the, uh, camera, the camera phone ruined everything cameras yeah, it ruined, did. they ruined fun <laughs> cameras ruined fun that should be your next podcast man <laughs> cameras ruined fun uh, very true though, man. Very true. And, and, uh, but at least I got to partake in that a little bit and dude, I was hustling. I was doing my thing, loving the agency life, even though it was a risk. And that was the best thing I could have done, man. Cause I went from tech to CPG. So I worked on old spice. And when I joined old spice, it was before the big campaign. And for right. those who don't remember old spice used to be like a dead brand. It was like, your yeah, it, was a le- it was a legacy band. It's, oh. what your, it's what your grandpa smelled like. Yep. Yep. Number three like in the market. Shave. Yeah. Yeah. It was boring. And then but it was still writing- a big CPG company, right? Cause it had a demo. CPG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they, they could sell product, but it was no, not relevant at all. And then P&G, uh, White and Candy was our creative agency. I was an uh, influence marketing agency. They came up with the idea, the guy on a horse, and we did the 200 videos and it crushed it. That was it. He's got, he's got a great story too, the guy on the horse too. And, I, and I'm going to butcher the story here, but I think he was like a struggling actor and he was like the, the last guy, player. right? He was like the last guy to come in for the, for the audition. And like, I, there's a whole story behind him. So which is cool. he, yeah. yeah. So he, Isaiah Mustafa, I spent a lot of time with him. He was a former football player, played uh, the Broncos, I think, and the Seahawks. Um, didn't have much of a career, went into acting, uh, obviously very charismatic, good looking guy and, and had a great career ahead of him. But he tried out actually for the first time and didn't get it. But right. then he begged his way in and he called Jake Plummer, who is a former Broncos quarterback, and asked him for advice. And he tested it on his voice machine. And right, he tested his voice, killed. right? That's yeah. not his, like he puts on a, a, an act, like a, an, an accent. He, 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 he changes his voice a little bit yeah. for that role. That's like right. Deep, and, it, yeah. and he went back in a second time. And it's a great, dude, it's a great metaphor for life, right? Like went back in a second time crushed it and not only did he get it like now I mean, he became that guy I and mean, he had all these things open up as a result mm-hmm. of that role it's and amazing it's like around. it's like the uh the, the the not the cuervo guy the most interesting man in the world right uh, like yeah 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 similar yeah, it's a similar, similar thing too all right so so now now you're like mid-career right you're like you're you're, you're getting the thing you're, build, you're building it right you're you're building up a rep there like let's pause for a second there like were you starting to manage people did you have a team underneath you let's talk a little bit about that what was that first experience when you were managing a team like some <laughs> some some fuck ups right some like all right i got this kind of thing where you're like how did you learn how to lead people i had a lot of fuck ups man i, I still <laughs> fuck up to be honest man i fuck up more than i i do things right but that's the part of the experience my first time is actually a wagged we in like seattle i think when i went to team old jam man one person i'll never forget I was so I was 26 and it was my birthday. I'll never never forget this, man. 
And I invited a bunch of my friends and invited some people from work, including my new director report just started for me like a week before. I was pretty drunk with my friends. And I, I kept saying, hey, this is a Kirsten, my director report. I kept saying it like a jackass oh. at, at my birthday party. And then later on, she told me like, yeah, it's kind of awkward. You kept saying that. I'm like, dude, I, it was so like, I don't know what I was saying now. I'm like, I would never introduce anyone no. like at the time. I was just so excited to No, now you say this someone. is my team member. This is our yeah, team. Colleague. Yeah, exactly. Colleague. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, PC. It was so stupid. It was just so like, what was I thinking? I was young and, and drunk and excited. So I'm sure, I'm sure everyone was like, what is he, what is he saying? But, so that was an interesting learning for me. Um, yeah. I mean, early, early on, was there that one person that you looked up to like as a mentor that you really learned from? Yeah, uh, actually, he's a good friend of mine now. He lives in New York now too. His name is Rowan. He was uh, the lead on the team. He recruited me to come to T-Mobile. At the time, I was leaving Microsoft, working on Microsoft mobile phones, which Microsoft had a big budget. You know, they're doing a lot of mobile phones and T-Mobile at the agency side at least wasn't huge. It was like a third of the budget, small team. And I had to move to Seattle and I was nervous about that. My first mm. move for a job. And since then, I moved like several times for my job. And uh, he told me in an interview, he was like, Jackson, I've lived all around the world for my job. I moved around for my job. I've left things behind, people behind. And I could tell you, as scary as nervous it is, it, you know, if you feel good about the people and the team, the role, it's the best thing you can do for your career. Even if it doesn't work out, mm-hmm. that learning, that experience, you jump off that cliff a little bit with a, you know, a little bit of a gut uh, that's going to work out okay one way yeah. or the other. And I did it, man. And he was right. He convinced me. And then ever since then, he became a mentor to me. I love it. And like trust, trust in your gut is something that, oh, dude. Oh, man, it's, 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 it's everything. Like, and then once you get yeah. to a stage in life where, because listen, as you and I both know, as as fathers, parents, um, you need to rely that with so many external factors in the world and so many things out of our control, you learn how much to trust your gut, mm-hmm. right? And I always say my gut's about ninety five percent right. Like sometimes yeah. I fart, sometimes I shit some stuff out, right? And, <laughs> and, and it's not so good if I want to use a metaphor, but you really have to you really have to trust your gut. So now we're going mid career. Um, you know, you spent some time out west. Uh, how did Chipotle come around? I'm so, skipping a step or two. No, in there, it's all but, good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I went to another agency for five years, built a digital marketing practice, working with clients like Taco Bell, Papa John, Starbucks, uh, Jordan Brand, and Chipotle was hiring for a head of digital. Um, and they saw that experience. They wanted someone who came from either agency or in-house, which it doesn't always happen, right? A lot of times you right. go in-house, they only want in-house experience, which is why I always tell agency people like think about that, you know. But I got lucky. The hiring manager came from CAA, came from agency life. He's like, That's I right. like that pace, and I want someone with some QSR background and was deep on digital, which I, you know, I feel like so I'm check, an OG. You check the boxes there, right? Yeah. It was the right place at the right time with the right experience. Yeah. But, you know, Adam, I hustled my way into that, man. This is a learning for any of your younger, for anyone, any age. Actually. Yeah, tell us how you did folks. this, man. So I, 15 years of agency at this point, right? It is hard uh, to go from agency in-house. You know that. Unless your client, you know, takes you. It just, it's hard. You don't get those looks, right? Even if you're, you can be the best person, but it's you just don't like get the a, looks. It's almost like a stigma, right? It's almost oh, like for a sure stigma. It is. Like, it's like the brand people, right? When I went from agency to Amex, I remember, I just to pause for a second there, people were looking at me, they're like, an agency guy. This guy doesn't yeah. have his B school degree. Like, yep. I remember yep. my first my first day at Amex, three people came up to me within the first hour. They're like, oh, nice to meet you. And I've been working like 10, 11 years at that point, And they go, what B school did you go to? Not what company did you come? Like, what the fuck are you talking yeah. about? And then when they once once they found out that I went to a SUNY, SUNY Buffalo, and I had like a two six GPA, and I and I have the same job as him, actually making more because I yeah. anyway. So we digress. So, so, so no, you're for those right. that don't know, like we talk about this too, the agency background is desirable because there's a hustle there. There's a there's a there's a sense of urgency. There's a speed and also the ability to multitask yes. and bring people together. So that's a very attractive trait. And when a hiring manager sees these traits and can apply them to the in house, which is typically a little bit slower pace. But the other thing is you still have to build and develop those interpersonal relationships in there. So you have this hiring manager that's on your side. Yeah. And dude, also, by the way, 
Uh, is there any job that trains you better to communicate? I know when I talk to agents, people, they over communicate. They're like project manage shit, even if they don't want to. Like they're just great communicators, man. Because well, you well, have to, because clients. What, what I learned, the number one thing that I always say that I learned in agency life that I applied as a recruiter is the concept of managing expectations. That is a uh -huh. fundamental backbone to account management, whether you're in sales, biz dev, whatever you're doing, managing expectations. And I learned yep. that early on and that you could apply yep. to everything. Uh, for sure. So in this job, so I was an agency guy. I wasn't getting the looks from a recruiter. They had internal recruiter, not external. So I saw a post on LinkedIn. And, you know, this doesn't always happen. And uh, luckily, it, you know, sometimes LinkedIn shows who posted it. So I found the recruiter. Yeah. I hit her up. I sent her a message after like a week of posting it. And I sent her like a long heartfelt note. She responded. And then I sent another note as a follow-up. I never heard back from her. I'm like, okay. But so about a month went by. And I'm like, fuck this. So it said reports to head of integrated marketing. So luckily, it was relatively small. I found that right. guy. There's only one. Like, he's got to be the hiring manager. I hit him up with a do. very long email. Yeah. And I said, here's why I'm a perfect fit. You know, blah, blah. Here's my skill set. I basically pulled out the bullets of the JD and nothing. No response. He added me on LinkedIn, but no response. Big, I know you saw me, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah right? I, I, <laughs> I know you red, saw me. If there was a red note, like, I know he read. I know. For, and now, he and I talked about it actually after you hired me. So, uh, three months go by, dude. So now I'm into January. I posted September was when I started. So I, I had forgotten about the role, right? I've been looking aggressively at some issues come up with the, the agency side. I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And, and you never want to get to this point, right? Where you're so unhappy, you wake up dreading going in. Luckily, that's only happened once. I, I need to get the fuck out. And then you make you start making bad moves. I was like, don't, don't. I was told this a long time ago, don't run away from something, run to something. Even if what you're running away from is so bad, unless you're really feeling like, I mean, unless it's so bad where your your mental health is at risk, but this wasn't there, but I just was unhappy. My ego took in support. So four months went by, dude. And I'm like, no leads. And you know how this is in job search. You can go like four weeks, nothing. And then one day, five leads come in, right? It's a shit, it's shit how it works. So I got this call from Denver and I'm like, Denver, all right. But it's, it's unknown number. You know how this, when you're looking for a job, any unknown number, I'm answering this shit. <laughs> and the half time it's like fucking spam, you know, salespeople. So I pick it up and like, hey, this is Adam from Chipotle. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, and I, I can meet you and perk oh, up. Oh, my you're, voice you're, gets yeah. higher. Yeah. <laughs> Jackson, how may I help you? <laughs> what can I do? Have you, have you put the beer down? Yeah. So the long story short, he's like, hey, I got your note forward to me. I'm sorry it's taking so long. We've been in the process. We had 10,000 applicants. I'm like, Jesus, this is when Chipotle was at that peak, right before the food crisis. And he's like, you know, we want to bring you in for interview. And it was like, you know, I, I must have interviewed 12 people, two days in Denver, two different days in Denver over three months. And they told me this gauntlet. is going to be a four month gauntlet. gauntlet oh, there. dude, brutal. And they're like, be prepared. I'm like, okay, I'm prepared. But it was Chipotle, man. That was the, the Rocky training montage, right? You're yeah, like, <laughs> I did. I did. This is my Mr. T, right? And then uh, I ended up getting the job and they told me like, hey, my boss said like, I saw your email. I didn't respond to you, but I forwarded it to HR. Uh, and to me, all of that is, Adam, is like, that was just hustle, man. Like I found, I, I tracked it down. You know, it's a thin line between stalking and being over uh, aggressive. Persistence, persistence is subjective, right? Like Exactly. Right. Like, and you have to figure out that balance of not being a, a stalker, but at the same time, it's your job search. And yep. anyone in HR and recruiting knows that you're going to get bombarded all day by follow-ups, but mm -hmm. it's about the tone, the messaging and how you handle yourself. Exactly right. Well said. And that's what happened there. And I got very lucky. And dude, within two weeks, I never, not once, Adam, I tell you this, had I gotten any in-house opportunities, even though I had a great resume, great clients, well-networked, Two weeks in a Chipotle, I literally had two job opportunities come to me my first two weeks, one from Subway, one for wow. another one. I'm like, wow, they, just they like tried, that. They tried to coach you immediately once you started there and it came up. When, yep. So, so Chipotle, like what, what was the draw there for you, man? Like what was like, how did, I mean, how did, how did they hook you in? I know you wanted to go in-house, right? And we were talking before about like you getting to the stage in life where you're not jumping and making like real like emotional decisions. Like what was a rational decision behind that 
decision. It, it was it was three things. The role was exactly what I wanted. It was the right next step. It was headed digital. I was already doing digital agency side. It was a brand I loved and everyone loved, right? So it was yeah, like it's a good brand. Was that it before is. they were purchased by McDonald's? Uh, after they divested, after right, McDonald's so that, yeah. divested them. Yeah. And I would say, Adam, this is also learning though. At that time in my career, I was just chasing sexy brands. Um, and I've learned yeah, this the name. hard way, right? It's just the name, right? The brand. And sometimes that works out, but a lot of times it doesn't, or a lot of times it's not as what you expected. So this grass is, case is not where, always greener, right? Just because the grass looks greener from my side of the fence and your grass yep. looks shiny, right? And all well manicured doesn't mean shit. Well, you come over the fence, right? And there's piles of dog shit everywhere that <laughs> you can't see. Right. How many people do you know? Like, I'd love to work. I'm not going to say any companies. This brand, this brand. And you meet with people from that brand. Like, yeah, it's, you know, the, the, the founder sucks. Or like, this happened over here. I'm like, wow, you know, so... You know, I try. I don't judge anymore based on that. I judge on the hiring manager. Hiring manager is fucking everything. Even if you're a CEO of the board, it's everything, right? So in this case, it was the brand, it was the role, and then honestly, dude, it was. I know I need to get in house, but it was the opportunity to build something out at a brand that was well known. So for instance, like my Jordan brand clients, this is Jordan brand, dude. Like one of my favorite brands, I'm a sneakerhead, I mean, and listen, they were like, yeah, like, I mean, there's no more iconic brand in America. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, wow, we're kind of jealous of you. You're going to Chipotle. I'm like, dude, that's crazy. Like, And I'm like, you're Jordan. I said, yeah, but Chipotle has got like a magic right now that no one else has. And people forget, like before the food crisis, Chipotle was it, man. That was the effing brand. I was like, yeah, people are moving brand, away from you know? the subway. They're moving away from Subway. They wanted something more yeah. fresh, but the cure, like the fast cash, right? Like, what, what was kind of that that in between, right? It was like that in between restaurant where it's still a good quality. You know, yep. the brand stood for good quality before the yep. the food situation. And exactly, it was all about the product. The product service is dope and product led. Uh, the, branding was, was clean. And right, the, the store was cool, right? The brand was minimal. The stores were cool. It didn't no look TV. like a McDonald's, right? It didn't look yep. like that shit. And they didn't do a TV. So there was also it's, a little bit of like this like magic, right? There was like, you didn't really see word like, of mouth. Yeah, yeah McDonald's Burger cool. King, always on your TV. Chipotle, it was like, oh yeah, Chipotle is dope. Yeah, and it was like 2,000 stores, not 20,000. At that time, probably 1,500. So yeah, dude, it was all those things that was opportunity. Now, obviously six months in the food crisis hit, <laughs> everything changed, but I learned more from that, Adam, than probably all the things I did Right. You know right. what I mean? So how, how long you were, that was out in, you were out in Denver, right? Cool city. Uh, no, uh, New no? York, actually. I was, was in Denver New a lot, but they had a New York office. At the right. Time. So, yeah. so how long did you spend there? About a year and a half. Um, so I left about a year after the food crisis. I just didn't believe in the leadership at the time, which then eventually got switched out. They brought in Brian Nichols, who's an amazing CEO. But at that time, I just didn't believe they could get, get back for a lot of reasons. So I know a little bit about the box story because I was following it when they were kind of emerging. But why don't you, why don't you fill us in how box kind of started and what drew you over there? Yeah, so a recruiter hit me up and uh, they were like, hey, we got this opportunity at Boxed. And I had never heard of it, but I started talking to some friends and it had this like vibes like 20, 2016, I think. And they started you know, in 2013. What stage were they there? So three they, years in? They just done the C round, just okay. finished the C round. So that's why they had the money to pay for a few more executives. They hired a CFO from Square and Intel. They hired a great chief merchandising officer from like Sam's Club. So they had a great team. But the four founders, as, as you know, and as for your audience who doesn't know, came from, uh, they started a company called, uh, a gaming company sold to Zenga after a couple of years, made a little bit of money. All former lawyers, almost all of them, and, and said F law. I don't want you know start their first we go job. Again. Yeah, exactly. And they, one of them started their job like literally a month after the the financial crisis. So he was like, "I'm out of here. Like this isn't going to work after Lehman collapse." And um, they started coming in the garage. Like you know, there's got to be a better way to, than what Costco is doing. This is before Costco launched ecom. Like we can do this. We can figure this out. So they launched in the garage and went from like forty thousand to almost a hundred million in three years. Like they crushed it. Um, and that's when they brought me in. Oh, dude, it was insane. And they also did a little bit on, on doing things differently, right? So Chipotle, I always say was value driven, right? Uh, so driven by a value of food with integrity, food that you can believe in, right? You said the product. 
box was values driven, right? It wasn't necessarily about one thing that we're going to do. It's like how we treat our people, how we treat the customer. We're going to go about this the right way. We're going to pay for people's college education for their kids. Yeah. We're going to pay for their weddings. We're going to we're going to refund you a tax on tampons that in ridiculous ways treated as a luxury in 29 states. So things like that were very different for the industry and they created they were, a name for themselves as a result. They were, they were disruptor. Do, mm -hmm. do us a, a quick, quick education check here. How do you define brand? What's your definition of brand? That's a good question. I would say brand is what an organization or a person stands for, uh, not only in reality, but in perception, what they are, what they do, how they do it and why they do it. Right. So the why Simon Sinek is critical, but it's also how and what, um, and it has nothing to do with logos, aesthetics, packaging. That's all the output. So to me, it's what you do, how you do it and why you do it. And how do you stand out and differentiate? Because that's what that's kind of right. triggered in this conversation for me, because you're talking about box and how they differentiated internally and externally. Externally, they differentiated, right? Because they were the first, you know, big box e-com DTC, right? We're not mm -hmm. talking about one off Amazon, you mm -hmm. know, and then we talk about internally, how they treated their employees differently. Mm -hmm. yep. And your employees are everything. I mean, you know this, right? When those employees feel part of the organization, uh, how much harder they work? How much you feel part yeah. of that family? Like, what was that feeling like at Box, like three years into yeah. the successful yeah. startup, the energy, the vibe? What was yeah. that like, man? No, I've never been in a startup. AT was the closest. And, and that's exactly what everyone thinks and why people go to startup. It was that. It was like a lot of autonomy. It was very personable. It was like a family, right? For better or worse, my family can also be fucking complicated at a workplace, right. right? But it was really just like personal. And there was this unique place where we need to get to the next level. And everyone was bought in. Everyone wanted to see this thing grow and exit and have a good path. You know, what we sold and what we did wasn't like that mind blowing, right? It was pretty simple. Unit economics were tough, but it was just, we were all part of it. We were all in it um, to win it. And it was a really, really cool vibe and experience. And to your point, you can't be customer first if you're not employee first. Think, think about it. how many times you've been in Uber, and even though that's a commodity, those drivers are driving for Lyft via Juno. Right. You have a bad Uber experience. That's on Uber, not on that driver, right? Um, yeah, so you like, relate and, that and, to and, Uber. Yeah, absolutely, and that goes across anything, even on Amazon or Box, where you never meet with or talk to a person. It's still that that fucking that that shit comes to your door, and the detergent spilled on your baby food. That mm -hmm. happened to me once. Cans broken. It, it, it doesn't matter what the reason is. That's boxed. That's, that's employees. It doesn't matter People, that the FedEx guy freaking tripped over the matter. box. Yeah, yeah, that's. So how, how can you be consumer first, customer first, if you're not employee first? And I think Box figured that out. And how long did you spend at Box before you jumped over to Clorox? About two and a half years. Um, had some funding challenges and trying to figure out what the next step was. And that Forbes list came out and it just felt like the right time to start exploring what the yeah, next man. thing could be. Um, so yeah, I walked away from equity, man. I walked away from a good amount of equity. It was a tough decision. That is um, tough, but you have to make was. those tough. But so what your, what your gut was telling you that this was the time and sometimes you got to leave money on the table. You do. I mean, people don't An realize that, right? And, and Chipotle's a great example. Dude, I took a 32% pay cut at Chipotle. Um, and I was coming from age side on base. To go to Chipotle. To go to Chipotle, to go in-house. So I didn't mention this earlier. And I had my first kid on the way. And I was terrified. My wife was like, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, I think I need to go in-house. I need that experience. I know it's a pay cut. But the bonus is stock coming up for it. That went underwater because of the food crisis. So in theory, I would have made more. But reality, I didn't. Yeah. But it was the best thing I could have done. And, and, let's, and let's pause on that for a second. Because here's a lesson for a lot of young folks. And I have this conversation a lot, especially when I'm talking to junior to mid-level. And these folks are going from their second to third job, right? And a lot of yeah. them are so focused on the uh, compensation versus the opportunity. Yes. And I beat it in over their heads. And I, and I say this to them. $10,000 difference in a job over the yeah. course of 26 paychecks minus taxes and everything is nothing. And I'm not here. I'm not saying that I'm not here to count your money. I'm not telling you how much money you need, but I want you to just put it in perspective. You can't look at a salary like that in terms of $10,000 increments. You really truly have to evaluate the, uh, the long-term yeah. opportunity and some roles 
maybe you have the foresight or not, are going to help you get to that next level Dude. higher and quicker, those interim roles. And, and I'm, I'm like, listen, I'm like, I'm telling you this from experience. Listen, I want you to make more money. I get fucking compensated on how much you make, right? I'm a recruiter. <laughs> but I'm telling you this because I care about you and your career. Dude, let's, let's stay on this for a minute because I have this talk all the time. Go to yeah, NYU, Columbia Classic. I think it's such an interesting topic. So what I find, especially young folks, they get caught up on title and base salary comp. So a mm. few things, right? Comp, first off, as you know, especially if you go to big companies, everything. It's bonus stock. You have to keep that in consideration. Startup is a little in. different. Yeah. yeah, it's all in. Startup is a little different. But when you go to a, a big company, they're going to sell you on the total comp. And there's a reason those people stay there for so long. That stock starts adding up. Even if it's a stock that's okay, it adds up, man. So that's one. Secondly, title, for the most part, title mostly is ego and external perception yeah for your next role that might matter but for the right role and responsibilities if you can articulate it to a recruiter you're good now in some bigger companies that hierarchy doesn't matter but for the most part you can figure that out but you're right the comp though is where people get hung up and i've watched people walk away from great roles with me and without me from so five thousand dollars so like what are, what are you doing right now like think about the big picture think about is this the right manager are you going to get the opportunities is this the right career progression for you even for two three years and thirdly are you going to enjoy it? Are you, are you going to have fun? You cannot put a fucking value on that. For people like you and me who have been in places where you're so unhappy, making good money, nothing it doesn't matter. And that paycheck I, comes every two weeks, and you feel like shit 80 hours every, of those weeks. In dude, I, I, jumped, I jumped from SiriusXM to American Express for 25 grand more, which was a lot back then for me. And I was yeah. miserable on day one, and I stuck it out for a year and a half before going back to agency world. Yep, I do. I mean, people just lose sight of the big picture. I know, I know you get bills and I get that, right? In some cases, if, if, if you are in a really tough position, you got to do what you got to do. But in most cases, I know the people who are leaving. They're not like, you're right. 5,000, 10,000. You start really you do that math on that, right? You're talking about like 2,000, 4,000 a month with taxes. You're talking about a few hundred bucks a paycheck. So unless that is material and it could be, unless it, it is, be. it could be, you got, yeah. you got it. And it could be right. So there's maybe 25% of the people, the other 75%. Big picture because that money will come, the opportunities will come. But if you start jumping, and nothing against jumping, that's the bigger trend now. Right. But if you start doing just for the paycheck, I tell you where you end up. You end up like a, in this wheel, in this cycle, and it will cap out. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself like, well, I don't know what to do in my career. And then you guess what happens? Then you might have to take a much bigger step back to reset. And it's and it's a it happens a lot in the agency world, and I'm glad I got out yes. of that too, right? Because you're 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 an account director here, and you're going to go to uh, uh, account like that's a game. They say two years at each game. agency, and you're going in a downward yeah. spiral. Um, so let's 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 keep the train moving here, and let's let's get on the Clorox train. How did this come about, and what's happening over there these days? Yeah, dude. So you know, talking about the sexy brands, right? Box was sexy, right? Chipotle was sexy. Clorox pre-COVID, especially, was not, right? So in fact, like another it, legacy yeah. brand, household item, everyone had to buy it. Consistent yeah. sales, right? Like steady Eddie. People yeah. buying Clorox, they need it. For Industrial, sure. residential, commercial, doesn't matter. Good, good EPS. It's not a growth brand. It's not volatile. Very, very no risk, right? Which is not me. I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm more like you, I'm like tattoos and beard and like, you know, I'm, I'm just not my style. So I'm like, the recruiter, I mean, I didn't say the brands and Fortune 500, but the GM role. And I was starting to think about shifting from the CMO path to the uh, CEO path. And it was perfect timing. Uh, and I wasn't going back to business school. So I was like, there's not going to be many roles like this. That's going to give me that break. Um, and it's a CPG. So I'm going to learn some great things. I, I I'm not going to get in business school because I'm not going. So it's the best of both worlds. Right. But it was Clorox. And at that time, it was moved to D.C. I had to move to D.C., which, you know, I was in New York for 12 years. My wife, 15 years, met there, had our two kids there. Like, it's, it's in my heart, right? Like, all the people who say New York's dead, like, don't get me started on that fucking topic. So anyway, I'm like, I'm, I'm ride or die for New York, you know? And then he was like, hey, uh, the roles in D.C. and Clorox. And I'm like, mm, let's mm. let's pump the brakes in this one. Like, I, this is not, I don't want to go to CPG. You know, I had start. I was look, interviewing with, like, Airbnb and Shake Shack and Etsy and Grubba, all the typical kind of companies yeah, you think based on my career. Yeah, from especially coming from Box and Chipotle, though that makes sense for me. 
DoorDash and so forth. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. And then I met with the manager, man. He said, just have breakfast with the guy. He's coming to New York, have breakfast with them. And I'm like, you know what? I always say, never say never, have the meeting. I always um, say, take the call, take the meeting. Take the call, dude. Why always not, take, right? Always take the calls. One call changes your life. Exactly. You just never know. It's like dating. It's not yeah. the same thing as dating. No, no different. So I had the breakfast with him on the 7 a.m. He had the three other candidates. I know and the back to back to back, I was the first. And I remember I, I was in Tel Aviv doing a keynote for a company, actually, where I had the first recruiter call for an hour. And he was grilling me. That recruiter call was way harder than any of the interviews. So I was like, mm. okay, this is interesting. And I met the my hiring manager, my boss now, who is like my second mentor. I've had two mentors, my three, really, my whole career. And he's been my third. And, uh, and right away, I knew. I'm like, wow, I will learn a lot. He was 30 years in Clorox, but he thought like a VC. He was very yeah. you know, best in companies, very much like me, um, but not. And I'm like, dude, this guy is awesome and we both know managers make or break people just forget that like your manager doesn't matter what level you are your manager is a big part of your career I'm like i can learn from this guy and i haven't had that in a long time to be honest Adam. i had yeah i mean at this, stage, at this stage of your career like you, you needed that kick right like i always I say too like serena williams beyonce tiger woods like all the people at the top of their careers and profession they need that coach they need that mentor sure. to take them to the next level for sure any yeah any top athlete lebron I mean, LeBron has people like that, right? So he's like top of the top. So yeah, same thing. And I did it, dude. I was interviewing a couple other startups for CEO roles, like pre-revenue. And, and this guy, like I, he made it clear. So I'm going to move fast. Like, yeah, you're a CBG. It's going to take three months. He's like, I'm going to do this in two weeks. Two days later, I had six interviews, all video. I didn't have to fly to Oakland. Got the offer four days later. I negotiated up on a signing bonus. I got aggressive on a couple of things. And, you know, there's a whole art of negotiations. You know, Adam, a lot of people forget and, and they sell themselves short and they get worried. If I ask for more money, I'm going to lose my job offer. It's like, God, what are you doing? At this point, they want you. So you can ask for a lot. Yeah, it's called, lever it's called leverage. Exactly, exactly. And they, sometimes they want to do it early. I'm like, don't do it until they want you and focus on one or two things. Don't ask for everything, but you will get something. They're not going to be like, oh, right. worst case, they say no. Best case, you get it, but no one's going to pull an offer. And if they did, that's not the company you want to work for because you asked for a little bit more money. So exactly. Um, so he and I negotiated, and I liked the process. I liked the way he was handling. He's very practical. And like, and I, you know, you always should equate, and you know, this more than anyone, the interview process with what the company's going to be like. If you start to see flags in that, that's probably how the company operates. Pause on that for a second. That's a really important thing, and I haven't talked about it in a while. The hiring process is indicative of how a company operates. If a company puts people first and the way they manage it, the way the initial recruiter has that conversation and the way they guide you through the process is so telling, spot on. Yep. And and the manager's ability to influence that. If you're senior enough, like he, yeah, Clark's is a little bit slower normally, but he made that faster. He's like, I'm going to make it faster. It so it was telling, yeah, is he going to be a champion? Is he going to say what he's going to do and do what he says? And he did, man. He, he fucking backed it up, but he was very clear. He was like, hey, I want to know if I go back and ask for more on this. You're not using me for leverage. Yeah, yeah. Like gonna you gonna, if I go back yeah. and champion for you, I want to yeah. know that you're going to accept this offer. Otherwise, you make and, me look like a dick. Yeah, don't use me for another offer. And I thought that was, and I've done this tactic a lot too. That's what you need to do as a hiring manager. I'm like, you know what? That was a great call. I'm glad you put me on the spot. And it was work, right? I could have still fucked him. But that would have been really, that's just not a cool thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it's a small world too. You don't want to be it on is. that guy. <laughs> it you is. You don't want to be, especially at the senior levels. No, no. When other opportunities. No, no, we, we all we all back channel there. So so you're at Clorox now. How long have you been at Clorox for? So a year and a half. Uh, I came on, you know, as you know, to oversee the GM of a pure play DTC brands they'd acquired, but also really more importantly to take that knowledge and learning and to build a team around it, which I've done, and then scale it for all the Clorox retail brands. Yeah. Launched Burt's Bees, Brita. At the time we didn't know cleaning was gonna be so big. And then of course COVID hits and we can talk about that. But my, my goal was really to assess what the problem was because what they inherited wasn't performing well. Uh, which I did. We built a custom tech stack. I hired a great bunch of executives and managers now from Plated, uh, Amazon, Living Social, Brandless, top so startups. You, so your so your mindset, and correct me if I'm wrong here, as far as the people that you hired was to bring in people with some of that entrepreneurial spirit, 
mentality versus your traditional CPG D school kind of marketers. Yep. And that's what helped change the culture of your team and guide the trajectory of success of the product, correct? And even po exactly, and even positively impacting Clorox culture as well. And we do have people on our team who come from B school and have that classic, but Clorox has that in spades. Also. Right, because so that, like, cl that classic training is important there when you're dealing with a lot of the, the academics of yes. the, the data, right? You need some of those mindsets to, to really be the true sure. analyst, right? To really be able to look at the numbers and combine it with the business insights. That's a yep. critical cut. We're not trying to undersell the B school experience yep. as well, but you have to have that mix. So you're kind yes. of having this team of the best of the best. Yeah. So I got a bunch of startup kids who were like, who had one thing. Cause listen, I've tried to recruit some great startup people. I know who respected me. I respected them, but they're like, I don't want to go to a big company. No matter what I was selling them. It was like, I love startups. So those people yeah, they like, didn't want that. They didn't want, they didn't want never that. Going. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Even, even if I'm like, I got this little island, I got my team here, we're going to be in New York, building an office, Like, but it doesn't matter. Because if you work, you love Peloton, you love building and scaling at a certain, you know how it is, yeah. right? It's just like agency people. If you love it, there's no way you're leaving. But I had a bunch of people like me who'd done one foot in, one foot out. Like, I like it, but I don't like this part of it. Yeah. I was given the best of both worlds. Autonomy, speed, building it, but with the resources of a big, great VC. We never had to go worry about fundraising. We never had to worry about like cash flow. Yeah, uh, yeah. We had that, right? Pieces. Yeah, that security yeah. blanket. I love it, man. So. COVID hits. Let's jump to COVID for a minute here, right? Yeah. Like COVID hits and all of a sudden, you know, the Windexes, the Cloroxes, the, all the cleaning products are top. There's a run on everything, right? There's a the product, the, you know, strain on the supply chain and everything. What was that like in March when you're like, holy shit, this product has now been elevated to a name brand yeah. need, immediate need. What was that like? I mean, listen, I, I wasn't working yet closely with cleaning at the time. I was really focused on the health and wellness. So even our brands like immunity products do, they were spiking. We couldn't keep them in stock. Uh, so that was our own problem. Right, I do it was apocalyptic buying. Oh, dude, people, yeah, people wanted immunity. I need every burpee chapstick in inventory now. <laughs> God, I right. right, right. Uh, so the cleaning team, you know, they, they're still working hard, right? You've probably seen our announcements for our CEO about working on the supply and demand, trying to get to, to meet the, the, all the great demand we've had. So good problem to have, right? A shitty scenario and a very scary scenario, but really good problem to have from a company standpoint. So it was a lot of learning. That team is working very hard. But what, what was really interesting from a broader perspective, dude, is, as you know, D2C e-commerce, we all know it was here with Amazon and Instacart, but like it had hit maturity, right? Especially in the Midwest and the South, right? Coast, yeah, everyone like you and me are shopping, but it's still a lot of people a lot of areas who are like, don't trust getting their fruit and vegetables delivered to their door and things like that uh, yeah. at scale, right? Until this happened. And now, you know, what I think was gonna be a three to five year more uh, timeline of like true, like mature maturation and like getting to like that critical mass is now, now, right? Like the next year, Omnichannel, everything dude, because of COVID. So that's where Accelerate, my team and the e-commerce team, which is really the sales team that focuses on selling our products on Amazon and Box. But my team, direct consumer, right? That also accelerated. Now, how many companies are launching right now? And, and now what was really neat is internally, I think everyone realized like, wow, there's such huge potential for us. And unlike a lot of the other CPGs who are just trying to start it now, we had already started it. We've been building this for like you a year and a half. So we, yeah, we're already like months away from launching a bunch well, of new brands. So yeah. What was, what was, what was the, you know, the, the top innovation, whether it be a process or a product or a mindset that came out of COVID over the last eight months on your team? Speed. Like my team always moved fast, but it was speed. It was cutting down the yeah. priorities, even though we had like a, a good amount, like a good like short list, yeah. cut it down even further. Like these three things and Got just it. make decisions quicker and cut me out of meetings. Right. Don't, don't if, let me be a bottleneck. Like yeah. just, just make a fucking that's, call. That's, that's good that's, management. That's, that's, that's strong it. management here. So I want to bring it home here. Um, when you interview people on your team, is there, is there one or two go-to questions that you always ask? And why do you ask them? Uh, there's three things I look for, and then I back my way into it, and I adjust based on the person. So I look for versatility, someone who can just do different things. Because if shit hits a fan, or things change our business, or our economy, our market, 
I need you to know that you can't just be like, I only do this job, right? That's not how it works. Yeah, you right? can't have your, your blinders on. Yep. No, man, you got to be able to be versatile, open-minded to learning new things, just like a startup. Curiosity, I, I don't want yes men and women. Inquis not inquisitivity, inquis being inquisitive is my number one skill oh. trait that I look for. Ask questions, right? Push back, challenge me, but don't be a dick about it. So my third one's <laughs> empathy, right? Be yeah. respectful. If you're going to push back, you don't have to have, listen, people think a nice culture is good. Nice culture is bad because that's passive aggressive. People don't want to get into it. Um, I'd rather work at a hedge fund or at least where I'm going to railroad and run over. At least I see it coming. So I'd actually argue being passive aggressive and being nice culture is the worst thing. And I've learned that from some companies. I won't say names that I worked at. So I asked for empathy. So the three things I look for are those three. And then I'll get, I'll back my way into like problems. I never ask hard skills, dude, unless it's a direct report of mine. And now I have my exec team. So I'm, I'm assuming that they have They've already flushed that out. Right? Somebody, if someone's yeah. getting to you at this point, you know that they're qualified to do the job on paper. Absolutely. Now you need to know who they are, right? You need to know who this assholes. person is. Yeah. yeah. And I, am I going to be no in a foxhole with you, right? Yeah. I want, if it's 60 of us in a foxhole on Slack, late night when it's stressed, I want to know you're going to deal with the problem head on and not be passive aggressive, not Slack emoji, some some weird shit, not talk shit behind <laughs> people's back, not screenshot <laughs> past combos. Oh, and it's the worst. Oh, dude, like, the don't do that. The shit, screenshot, right? the screenshot's another oh. shitty thing. Camera phone, oh. screenshots. All that shit, all that shit. So, like, for me, I interview everyone, intern to VP, and now that I have my core team, my direct reports, I never interview hard skills. I'm always about the person, yeah. the people. So, one question I ask, for instance, is, like, if you could be a god uh, or god, whatever you believe in, what would be the first thing you would do? Could be anything, and at, there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. Right, but you really want to see how they, how the mind, the, the how they break down the problem. Yeah. And do they think about themselves or the world, and why? And if you think about yourself, that's fine too. I'm just curious on why and why you chose that. Um, so that's just a question I throw at. Sometimes I'll, I'll I'll throw out a real scenario. I'm like, hey, uh, you know, how would you deal with this? Something that happened recently. So a real behavioral right? based interview type question. Yeah, to get to how they respond, but I like to throw them off too. So like, I always ask them things like. Hey, what's the biggest deal breaker uh, when it comes to a culture? Because everyone said, what do you look for in a culture? I say, what's the thing that you hate the most? And what I found is when you get people talking about things they don't like, the first question is always like, oh, well, I don't like when, you know, uh, something's just, uh, you know, superficial. Right. But I dig there. And then once you get people start talking about any kind of pet peeves or things they don't like, usually they open up and then I get to the real That's answer. Hard. I'm like, ah, okay. This is the thing. That do you always stroke nuts. the beard though when you go, aha, <laughs> yes, all right, gotcha. I do. <laughs> I do probably too more than my wife would like. That's a good but, one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's awesome, man. So let, let's bring it home here. This has been an awesome conversation and literally it's just been chock full of freaking knowledge nuggets and bombs here. And you talk faster than I do. And I, that's rare. But it's Ooh, probably yeah. you're a New Yorker. I'm a jive talking motherfucker. Um, what does the word authentic mean to you, Jax? Just being real, no matter what what's happening. In fact, being real when it's gonna you're gonna suffer for it, whether it's professionally or personally. You know what I mean? Like if you can be real when not when it's fun to be real when everyone else is. It's like when you have to do the thing that no one else is doing. It's gonna make you look bad, put you in a tough position, impact you negatively. That's fucking authentic, man. Yeah. What's the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day? I didn't receive it uh, directly, um, but Kobe, I, I'm a big Kobe fan. When, when he passed, it really hit me hard for a lot of reasons, but, uh, and less about even on the basketball court, more everything else behind. Um, he always said, not to me, but to everyone, be better, right? Every day, the next day, be better than you were the, the day before. And that, that is not a sports thing. That is a life thing. Be better dad, be a better husband, partner, friend, colleague, citizen. Um, and that goes back to being authentic. If I can just be better, just a little bit better, um, I'm good, man. Then I'll feel really good. I, lo I love it, man. What would you say is your is your superpower? What do you do better than almost anyone on this planet that makes you who you are? I surround myself with people with better superpowers than me. 
I love that. That's a that's a that's a great freaking answer. And you know, we've been talking a lot. You know, it's October second, and and I've been having this conversation, the same question for eight months. I can't believe this. During the during the pandemic, there's been a lot of silver linings. A lot of good things have happened. Because I want to end the show on a positive note. Like, tell me something good here, Jax. Leave us with a personal silver lining and a professional silver lining. Oh, my personal silver lining is every day I wake up to the two most beautiful humans uh, I've ever met and encountered. My two daughters, my my five year old Sophie and my sixteen month old Adley. The genuine, you know how it is with kids in the eyes. People say this, but until you have them and you see them, like the innocence, the learning, the just the love they have for each other and for us. Like, dude, there's nothing like it. So no matter what happens, man, I could be unemployed and even for homeless, God forbid, I have them. As long as I can take care of them and give them something better than I had, it's not just financial, it's everything. Dude, like that, that is my personal silver lining, period. Professional silver lining, it's not that different, dude. It's, I, I, I like people, if you can tell. Like, so I will always value people over anything else. I always so truly believe the best productivity, the best work gets done with people. It's not bullshit, man. Culture, culture's not beer pongs and free lunch. That shit is output tactics. You can work in a fucking prison with 10 people and not see the light of day, but if you have great people around you with the same mindset, it doesn't mean that they're the same as yours and mine, or you could have different values and have the same people like that with you. That's okay. Whatever those values are that you care about, being around people like that, getting the energy. And, and for me, it's about being real, genuine, just being direct, honest, but also empathetic, man. Like we can accomplish anything. I could sell widgets. I could go hopefully find a cure for something or, or sell, you know, cleaning products and wellness products. And it won't matter. It's, it's the people, man. So similar to my daughters, it's really just, I want to be around people. That's why this has been tough. Being, even though I spend more time with my family, I miss that yeah. the social piece. With yeah, people, we'll get back there. You know? People want people want to get back to work. That's beautiful. And last but not least, right? Listen, not 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 every day is 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 amazing, right? We you have some rough days. Yeah. You're 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 at the top, man. And sometimes you have to make some tough decisions. Sometimes you have to let people go. And and not all days are are rosy. Um, and you got to reach down deep inside, like those dark points in your life and your career and everything. You got to find that inner tenacity to pull yourself forward. And on the flip side of that, what we were just talking about. When you're so grateful for everything that you have in your life, your kids, your family, everything that you accomplish and surround yourself with, Jax, what is your North Star? What is your compass? Honestly, man, it's my gut. If I could stand on the other side, my deathbed or whatever, and say, like, you know what? When that shit was hitting the fan or I have the rough, tough decisions or things that maybe I regret later, like, can I stand behind the reasoning and why I did it? And, and it was on the right side of history. And sometimes I'm not right. But when in doubt, can I just look at this 20 years from now and be like, this is the right thing. And sometimes the right thing could hurt someone, right? It could be tough for someone. Um, but this is the right thing with all things being equal, all things considered, right? Cause sometimes you have to make a decision that might be tough for one person, but ultimately it's gonna be better for 20 people. And if I don't make the decision now, all 21 people could be impacted. That makes sense. Right. And, and things like that, that I have to weigh in. I just do my best to, to, okay, and if I'm going to make a tough decision, Adam, let me at least, you don't have to be vicious about it either, right? Like I've gotten a lot of people I've laid off. I've gotten at least four of them jobs or try to be a reference for them. So of course. people assume like it's just one or the other. It's not, it's not a, bi a bipolar decision. It's like, hey, I can, yes, I have to make a hard decision, but I can also be a really good person and do everything I can to help this person or whatever means it's possible to get the new job or whatever. So to me, it's that, right? It's not just a decision. It's like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing everything I can? Am I overextending myself? Um, which really shouldn't be much of a question. It's like, I'm going to do what I can to help people. Um, so for me, that's kind of my North Star. Hello, man. Jax, thanks for spending some time with us Thank today. you, brother. It was a good time, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Where can, where can folks find you? Where can they connect with you? Where can they learn more? Uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, man. I'm pretty active more on LinkedIn than Twitter. Um, I'm not able to add people right now. I'm having some issues with the uh, connection limits, which sucks. Uh, so I'm working on that. I got to make some updates. But LinkedIn and Twitter, I check often.
That's awesome, man. Thank you. Uh, and everybody joining us today, I, I really hope that you learned from this conversation. It was awesome. I love talking to folks like Jax who just have such an incredible career and, and, and so much to share. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it, subscribe, leave a review, ranking, help this shit, help this show blow up. That's what we need here. You know where to find us on the podcast.com, all the social media channels. Remember, wash your hands, stay six feet apart, look out for each other and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. To join the conversation, search The Podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepodcast.com.